Well, folks, Shaw Jerry Adams, Arish, August Tassel, Gongo, Well, Shivsha, Gomoy. So, as you will now know and hopefully are enjoying the little guest spots on this podcast, and uh, next week we're going to have Podrick Wilson, but also on Good Friday. On April the 7th, we have a special uh, podcast. It'll be one of a series of three special podcasts on the Good Friday Agreement. And it will be much longer than the normal weekly podcast. And it will be a discussion, a disbrocht, with my friends and comrades Mitchell McLaughlin, Barbara De Bruyne and Jerry Kelly, all who were part of the negotiating Team for Sinn Féin up at Castle Buildings and they're running to the agreement on Good Friday. So tune in next Good Friday on April the 7th and we'll then do the second one on Easter Monday and then later on on the actual uh, date of the referendum. So Sinn Féin but for now, uh, Sue Ramsey gives her memory of the time she spent up in Kessel Buildings. Lana Rye, Susan. The late Siobhan O'Hanlon had asked me to give administrative support to the party at Kessel Buildings following the elections to the Forum, which was then followed by the talks that led to the Good Friday Agreement. At that time, I was local councillor in Lisburn Council but I was also working in the office of the Six County Cougar. So it was agreed that I would work with Siobhan and be based in Castle Built and Stormout. Our first few weeks were spent getting the offices set up, sorting out passes for the party delegation, getting to know the civil servants and staff, and other parties were up doing exactly the same thing. More importantly, we were tasked with breaking down the barriers with all who worked there. Every day I made a point of saying good morning or hello to anyone I met, including the kitchen staff, the cleaners, other party staff. And usually I got a mixed response. Some nods, some smiles, but a fair few grunts. But after a while this changed, especially among the staff, who remember at this stage, some had never met a Catholic, never mind a Republican. Siobhan and myself got to know some of the staff really well, and they says to us that we treated them better than their so-called own people. Sometimes when things were quiet in the office, I would have taken a dander around the building and had tea with the staff, or if I was really bored, I washed the dishes, because anyone who knows me knows I always get into mischief when I'm not busy. Remember, respect costs nothing, but goes a long way. After the assembly was set up, some of the staff transferred there, and they would have came to Sinn Féin with any issues they had. But back to mischief. A few weeks before the Good Friday Agreement was signed, I was in the office making my own business, and I'm walks my mulum looking Martin. I said he was away talking to someone, so off comes her shoes and wig, and she gives her head a queer scratch. She then asked me about my Easter early, and I says, I got to remember everyone who's died. Do you want one? And she says yes, and pinned it on her top. So shoes and mic back on, she leaves the office. 
Two minutes later, Martin comes in, leaves Easter Lily on my desk, shakes his head and smiles. I heard later that Mo was on her way to meet the UUP. And just imagine David Trimble's face if she still had it on. But sure, I never learn. Late on the Thursday, going into the Good Friday Agreement, the phone goes, and this woman with an American accent says, phone call from President Clinton's office for Jerry Adams. And didn't I think it was Jerling Crawford went me up? So I says, I dead on, Jerling. Do you think I'm stupid? And the woman says, excuse me, this is President Clinton's office looking to talk to Mr Adams. So the penny dropped. I nearly derailed the peace process, peace process a few times. In 1998, the elections took place to set up the Assembly and I was elected to represent West Belfast along with Jerry A, Fra and Barbara, where I remained an MLA until 2014. And sadly, I had to stand down due to ill health. I have a few other funny stories but I think I'll wait till the 50th anniversary. That way I will be far too old to get shouted at again. My Shin, Gora Margaret. Sue, how do you do? Thanks a million, Sue. And now to a little book and a CD. Uh, as regular readers, and listeners will know I'm a big fan of Clara Records. And Clara Records was founded by Garrick Brown and Ivor Brown for de- decades ago. And since that time, they've been recording and promoting Irish traditional music and song. It's a really wonderful enterprise. And they've recently had a new lease of life. And Clada is currently digging into its archival material and giving its collections space to breathe once again. And as a result of an arrangement with Universal Music, these gems from our tradition are getting local exposure. So well done on all of that. And one such production is Beauty and Illion. Music and Song of the Blasket Islands. And I treated myself to a St. Patrick's Day present during a recent visit to Uncultorland on Belfast Falls Road, and I'm delighted that I did. Beauty and Illion is a really fine bilingual hardback book filled with notes and interesting information. And it contains a CD of 26 recordings. Now, some are quite short, snatches of sessions while others are complete renditions of tunes or songs from Sean Noche singers and musicians. And they're all treasures. Many collected by Reinach e. Ogan in situ, and we are indebted to Reinach. The Blasket Islands are special. They're the six main islands west of the Dingle Peninsula in Kerry, and they're all uninhabited these days, but once a thriving Irish-speaking community lived there. And they were hardy folk, as island people must be. Three books brought them to the attention of the rest of us. Antilianoch, Fehablian Igfas, and Peg. Thomas O'Crehan gave us the first one, The Island Man. Maurice O'Sullivan gave us 20 years of growing. And Peg came from Peg Sayers. And published 90 years or so ago, these books give an insight into the life of a unique 
island community. Many other books have been written since. But one thing is clear in them all. Music and song were part of life for the islanders. And so was dancing and storytelling. As Beauty and Ilion puts it, music was an expression of feeling, both joy and sorrow. And this musical expression drew on and reinforced Irish culture and tradition. Music served as a cohesive force within the community. One of my favourite of all our traditional airs is a Blasket one. The Blasket one, perhaps, Port Nabuki. This is a tune which came in on the wind off the Great Blaskets, and I first heard it from the playing of Tony McMahon. One night in Conway Mill, he made the hair stand on the back of my neck as he bewitched us with this plaintive tune. And Seamus Heaney's fine poem, The Given Note, captures and evokes the essence of this music of the puka, or ghost. The Poet and the Piper, another Claddock production, features Seamus reading this poem and other poems, and Master Piper, Piper Liam O'Flynn, with his version of Port Nabuki. It's well worth listening to, as is Martin Hay's version. Beauty and Illion gives us the story of the origins of Port Nabuki, as well as a lilting version by Maurice O'Dalig. Other modern musicians and singers feature, including the mighty Brendan O'Bagliacht, Aoife and Dardry Granville, and Roisini Calicor all influenced by their island connections. All coming from this tradition, from this unique Irish-speaking island community. So let's give the last word to, the last word to Reinach E. Ogoin. The tunes and the songs on this CD continue to be played and sung. Isn't it wonderful that that is so? Long may it continue. Beauty and Alien, Music and Song of the Blasket Islands is available from Clada Records or from their website, cladarecords.com. Now on Tuesday, last I was up in Derry, it was the sixth anniversary of the death of my friend and comrade Martin McGuinness. And I travelled to the city hotel up there for a public conversation about my relationship with Martin, with Roy Greenslade. Roy is a journalist, a broadcaster and an author who during a long and distinguished career has held a number of senior positions in many of London's main newspapers. In our conversation I recalled meeting Martin in Dublin and then behind the barricades in Derry in 1972 as we prepared to travel to London for secret meetings with the British government. It would have been understandable, Bill, Thinking back, if a 22-year-old working-class lad from the bog side had been stressed and anxious about the process he was about to engage in. But not Martin. He was in control, calm, confident, a natural leader, wanting to talk about how we should approach the upcoming engagement with the British ministers, what our agenda might be, what the bottom line might be, what proposals we might make. The Martin McGuinness Peace Foundation was established in 2019 as a not-for-profit charity. 
Its purpose is to celebrate the life, work and achievements of Martin McGuinness as a leader, a political activist and an international statesperson. It does this by promoting his progressive ideals of national reconciliation, unity and peace, conflict resolution and peace building. All of these ideas were at the heart of everything Martin tried to do as a political leader and in his work at the office of First and Deputy First Minister with Ian Paisley, with Peter Robinson and Arlene Foster. And Tuesday's event was really good. I enjoyed talking about my friend and I hope those who were there enjoyed it also. And it was wonderful to see Bernie and their children, adult children and their grandchildren. And of course, theirs is the greatest loss, particularly Bernie's, but I too and those of us who worked with Martin and who lived with Martin for jeepers all of 50 years almost miss him dreadfully. So thank you, Martin, for all that you did. And thank you, Roy Greenslade, for moderating our discussion. And I think we finish this week with a song from Kira McCafferty, Where My Heart Will Always Be. Lanar I, Kira. Chiefy May Shibsha Arish A Mor Orov. Volunteers we have as a 